everybody, this is Kindle from Recording Lounge. I'm so sorry it's been so long. It is April 10th, 2011. I was really mad at myself for not getting a show out in March. So I'm going to make a commitment to make two shows this month to try to make up for it. I want, I'm telling you, I want one show a month, solid, hopefully more, definitely in the summer. I know I'm going to have some more time. Things have been really crazy lately. Um, but I've got some good things to talk about, and uh, it's called The Chain. What's The Chain? That's why we're here listening on a podcast, right? So let's learn. Listening to the sounds of the loaded dice. I actually just finished this mix. Uh, really, this weekend's really cool two-piece band. Really like white stripes, but a lot of soul. Cool guys. Before we get into the show, I'm just I'm, I'm gonna be honest. I'm gonna have a shameless plug. Um, I had a couple of requests via email to. I had a couple of people asking me. They said, "Kindle, uh, do you do freelance mixing and recording and mastering?" And I actually do. Um, a couple of listeners had asked if uh, I could master a few of their songs, and one guy was talking about mixing. Um, so if you guys are interested in mixing and mastering, please email me at uh, recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, it's all one word, recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. Um, again, of course, to ask any questions, but if you have any curiosity as far as rates go, um, I can send you samples. You know, if you have an example of something you might be like a genre you're looking for, um, of both mastering and mixing, um, freelance recording, of course I do, but, uh, you know, it'd be a little hard if you live in Iceland or something or, or, you know, uh, Budapest and I have to go in, you know, but whatever. Um, Generally, you know, mixing and mastering is so easy thanks to the digital age, which I love. The digital age is fantastic. I mean, you can Dropbox, you can use Dropbox and uh, Syncplicity and all these different folders sharing and things like that. I mean, you can send huge files over the internet and you can get them mixed and mastered from all parts of the world. And just, I mean, it's just great. It's crazy. So, like I said, if you're interested in any of those things, please email me. We can talk about rates and whatnot. Um, or, you know, like I said, samples, whatever. So today's show, we're talking about the chain, and the chain is a common term I'm sure you have heard at one point or another. The chain refers to the links, the separate links that go together to make from analog to digital world, which means, of course, the room, the mic, the preamp, blah, 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 blah. And of course, we've talked about this, right? I mean, how many, how many times have we talked about the chain? Having a good chain is really important. However... Today we're going to go into more depth of details about the chain and why some of the things are the way that they are. And specifically I'm talking about EQ in the chain, as in recording with EQ and and recording with compression. So let's dive into that just a little bit. There's a common thing today where people are afraid to record with effects. And when I say effects, I really mean processing. That's probably a more... Uh, you know, politically correct term you might say because people get all people get all offended with this stuff. It really is a serious matter, and um, so when people are afraid to record with processing, what that means is they're like, no, I don't want to use any EQ on the way. I don't want to use any compression on the way. No effects on the way. I I want it to go preamp converter. Right? That's a common thing these days. It's like that's like a very common thing. And hardly anything these days is made with EQ. I, I mean there there are things made, of course, like Vintech and Neve and I mean AMS is still around. I mean it's, 
I should clarify and say the majority of things are selling as preamps only. It's because they're trying to pack it in. You know, it's capitalism, right? We're trying to pack all this stuff in this one box. Oh, yeah. Look, I can I can have eight preamps in one rack space. Well, yeah, that's that's fantastic, but... They have a purpose and a place, and generally that's to record big things like drum kits, but they're not necessarily meant to be your main strong chain. You've got your preamp, and then what's next? Well, on a console, you had EQ. And I, of course, think the consoles had it right. I think they made the EQ right after that. Why? So you could fix it. And I'm not talking fixing because it sucks. I'm talking fixing because you need a little bit of shimmer. You know, you need a little little bit of gloss on the high end to make the voice stand out just a touch. And, you know, the air conditioner's rumbling in the back, so you do a high-pass filter and get rid of the lows, right? Get rid of them up to 80 hertz, let's say. Well, the thing was, they were using fantastic mics, so it already sounded good, but you're just tweaking it a little bit. And, of course, nothing's been compressed at this point. You're just like, okay, let's make it sound sweet. Let's make it sound really sweet. You know, we got it. It sounds nice. There's a common idea these days that it's bad to record with EQ because you want to have a clean signal. We're going to talk about these two situations. First situation is that you drop that and you record with EQ. And... I say that people should invest in one good single or pair, if you can afford it, good modules that are good preamps with good EQ. A good example of this would be like two Vintec X73s or, uh, you know, some some sort of great channel strip. And we're not talking something with, EQ, with, with a compressor. I'm talking just pre-EQ. That's it. That's all that's there. Why? Well, I mean, that's classic. Neve 1073s, 1081s, 1066s. All of these are preamp, EQ. And um, you know, they made the 1272 preamps, which are essentially the same preamp that's in a 1073, except just the preamp only, no EQ. And yes, they are a lot cheaper than a 1073, but there's no EQ. If you don't like to do EQ, then sure, you know, 1272 might be the way to go for you. But essentially... What you're dealing with is not just a sound. It's not just, oh, well, I don't need the Neve sound. I'm going to make my own sound. It's not that. It's the order. It's that it was a good preamp, and then it had a good EQ in it that was right next to it. And right after that was your re- was the rest of the chain. But I'm telling you, analog EQ is the best. It's great. It sounds fantastic. Um and you're not using, you know, you don't have to use it out the butt. You can. You can you can go crazy with it. But if you have a good solid single channel or dual channel would be even better, you can handle most of your important things with that. You can do lead vocal. You can do monoacoustic. If you had a pair, you could do stereoacoustic. You could do kick. You could do snare. You could do kick and snare. Or you could do overhead left and right. You could do room mics. You could do... You know, a lot of stuff can be done with two mics, and you know that. You know, you're not stupid. You've been recording, right? So you understand a lot of things can be done with one or two mics, and it's not because we're lazy. It's because it fits, and it works. So why complain? We don't have to put 30 mics on an acoustic guitar to get all the tones. You're going to have phase relationships out the butt, and then you're going to be pissed the whole time while you're mixing it because you're sitting there like, oh my gosh. I cannot get these to balance to save my life. So you put one mic up there and you record the acoustic and you put it in the right spot and the whole thing sounds huge. 
So I encourage you to invest in a good monochain of preamp EQ. Now to the second group of people that don't want to record with EQ and they're like, no way, I'm not recording with an EQ. Okay. Then what I encourage you to do is after you record, first plug in in the chain. First one. I don't care. Nothing else before it. Do not put a single thing before it. No exceptions. Put yourself an EQ. And I don't care what it is. It can be a Neve emulation, right? That's what I might do. Um, Or an API or, or something. Um, or you can put uh, uh, just the Waves Q10. And this EQ is what I call corrective EQ. Put it there and fix something. Do it subtly. Do it smart. Don't be dumb with it. So what this means is roll off the low end that you don't need first. Take off any lows that you don't need. You know, if you don't need, if, if you're recording a, a ukulele, you probably don't need anything below 100. I'm just saying. You might have a little bit down there, but not much kick drum, you know, maybe you roll off just 30 hertz, right? Or six, or 40, maybe, maybe not even 40, maybe 30, but you don't need those lows. And the reason you, you roll off those lows is to tighten the mix because those lows have energy. You might not hear them in volume, but they have energy. If you put a low pass filter on a kick drum and you wipe it down to a hundred hertz, the volume pretty much doesn't change a whole lot. And that's because the low end has so much more energy than the click, the attack of the kick. And so when you're going, you're going, and you got all these levels, your meters are a lot more sensitive to the low end because it's energy, you know, it's volume. So I encourage you, put an EQ as your first plugin and make it sound sweet. Don't start compressing. Don't start EQing other, you know, like crazy. Don't start putting reverbs. Just make it sound good. Make it sound a little bit better than what it is. Boost, and a common thing is this. You take, like I said, you take out the lows you don't need. You boost some sort of high frequency. And that means, I mean, anything from from 1K to 20K, boost something. Because boosting up there gives a little bit of sparkle. If it's a vocal, common frequencies are 10K, 12K. And please let me clarify, I'm just giving you a suggestion. I'm not telling you do this. I'm saying try these methods. So boost something in the 10K region maybe, right? And then you might have to use the mid frequency and select some sort of mid frequency to take out something that is too much. Generally in things like vocals, you have a little bit too much in the you know, 400 to 600 range because it's just like chesty sounding or it's the room or it's, you know, the mic or or whatever. It's just the way they sing. So adjust that, you know, sometimes it's all the way up at 1K or uh, sometimes in acoustic guitar, you get too much low mids. You get too much around like the 250 to 350 range. And so you might take out a little bit of that. Um, So basically what you're doing is trimming the fat. This corrective EQ is trimming the fat and it all goes back, you know, either analog or digital. So, right, we've got our, let's, let's recap for a second. You got your preamp, and then you got EQ. My personal preference would be do an analog EQ and record with it. However, if you want to play the safe route, I understand, then you throw your EQ on your first plugin and then fix it. Make it sound good. Don't be, you know, don't be being like, okay, I got to compress first. Fix it before you compress. Do not compress anything bad. On that note, we move to compression. Dear God. 
It's one of those things that people get all sensitive about because it's a delicate topic. It's confusing. It's hard. It's hard for beginners to learn. It's hard for advanced people to grasp. It's hard for people to just continue to understand compression. I think, like I've said before, the consoles had it right because they put the EQ right after the preamp. So when they compressed, they were compressing something good. Is it starting to make sense? When you put your EQ plug in first or when you adjust your analog EQ, you're turning it sweet. And one of the best things about that is you're taking out low end that you don't need. The reason being, like I said, a compressor is going to see the volume. It's not smart. It's, it's, a, it's a machine. So if you've got unnecessary low end on something, it's going to be compressing that unnecessary low end. And it'll say, oh yeah, I'm compressing three decibels. It's compressing three decibels of the low end. I mean, you won't hear it. Like, you won't be able to compress what you're wanting to in the sound. So there is the key. What are you actually trying to compress? Here's a perfect example. Let's say you're recording an acoustic guitar strumming, and you want it to sound a little more even. The strums are all over the place. you got some quieter ones and louder ones. The acoustic guitarist is not very consistent. So you put a compressor on there and it hopes to even out the strumming pattern a little bit and make it sound a little fuller, a little more driving. So you throw a compressor on. What is the compressor looking at? Is it looking at a sound that's a little boomy? Then fix it before you compress it. That's why the consoles had such an advantage because they would use that console EQ subtly to fix it first. That doesn't mean they wouldn't go back and EQ it more later. And then they had the option to go to a compressor that they really liked. So what we're talking about here is compressing good information. You need to figure out what it is that you're trying to compress. Not just say, oh, I'm compressing the kick drum. Well, there's a lot of parts to the kick drum. There's the beef part, there's the low end, and then there's the attack. In most instruments, that's what you have. You have the low end, the fundamental region and you have the high end, the attack. And of course you have a ton of mid-range content, but I'm trying to simplify it here. So for example, acoustic guitar, you've got your strum, your pick, right? Your strings, that's your attack. And then you've got your warmth and your body and your resonance, that's your, that's your low end. So you've got your lows and your highs. Compressors are, are not smart machines. They're just machines. They, they look at what they're given and they do their job. So when you are compressing an acoustic guitar, for the purpose of what? You ask yourself that for the purpose of evening out the strums, okay? Well, then you might have to cut a little bit more low end um, to make sure that you're not compressing just a bunch of lows. They do make compressors like the Wave C4 that only compress the high end. You know, you can set them to ignore the low two bands on the C4 and only compress the high end. I love Wave C4 because it's 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 used for that purpose. You can keep the low end nice and open, nice and, and dynamic without squashing it. Um, or one common thing that I do is I will set up my two high bands and my two low bands uh, on the multiband compressor uh, in, in the same settings. You know, the, the two highs are the same and the two lows are the same, but they're different from each other. So I'll compress the lows one way and the highs another way. And that really allows you to say, okay, I'm actually just compressing the strums heavily, but the low end, I'm just compressing really lightly, really smooth. So, in the box, we're working in the box, you throw your EQ plug in first, then you throw your compressor. If your compressor 
I'm telling you, the first time you do this, if this is the first time you're going to do it, you're going to know, you're going to notice the difference in quality because what you're going to hear is you're going to hear, wow, that compressor sounds good. My vocal now sounds good. Well, that's because you're compressing the vocal. You're compressing the words. You're not compressing the coming from the low harmonics of the throat and of the mouth and of the words. You're not compressing that. You're compressing the you know, the words, the mouth, the attitude, you know, the, just the physical volume that you're, you know what I mean? The, the words. And that's sort of your top end in this situation. The, the words that are actually coming out, not the, the, the it's rumbling away, away below. Like my voice now, you can hear there's a, there's a low harmonic going on underneath my voice. And that's not just because I'm EQing it in Nuendo. It's not, I mean, it's not just because of that. I mean, it's natural, right? Almost everything has a low end and a high end, and the mid range is somewhere in between. And obviously, it's important. The mid range is obviously important, but that's you know we're straying a little bit here. So think about what you're compressing first of all, and then figure out if that's what you're actually compressing. And you set up your attack and release times to be uh, you know to be aware of what you're compressing. If you're compressing a vocal, and you know, do you want it to sound chopped off? Do you want it to be super, super even like a limiter? Then yeah, put your attack time fast. Do you want it to have some dynamics still? Do you want it to, you know, have a slower attack where it comes in just enough to let the words pop out, let the, let the words catch your attention and then they're compressed? Um, you know, maybe do you use a slower attack then? So again, trying to recap it, just, just drive it in your brain. You got your preamp, you got your EQ, or if you're doing it in the box, and you're and you don't want to record with EQ. You got your preamp. You record it, and you put your EQ plug in first. Then in the chain, you've got a compressor. Analog compression is fantastic. If you can afford an analog compressor, a good one, not a cheap one. Don't waste your money. Do not waste your money on a cheap analog compressor. Get a good one if you're going to get one. LA two A's are, you know, three grand. You can get uh, Universal Audio eleven seventy six for I think two grand. Find them all over eBay, I'm sure. Um, and you can find some decent compressors that are under that price, maybe a thousand bucks, somewhere in between. I mean, just look online. You know, I'm not here to I'm not here to tell you the latest and greatest and what you're supposed to buy. That's for you to decide what's right for you. I've got my stuff. You've got your stuff. You know, I love you guys anyway. <laughs> um, so, you know, you got your pre, you got your EQ, then you got your compressor. Now what? Well, generally, this is a time for what I like to call your shaping EQ, and this is when Okay, now that it's been recorded, consider this, because again, what you're considering at this point is that it's been recorded and a little bit mixed, just a little bit set up, you know, just a little sparkle on the EQ, just enough, you know, you're rolling off your your high your uh, high pass filters, you know, you got your lows rolled off just a touch to tighten things up, you've set your volumes and pans, now what? Well, now you got to fit 35 tracks down to a left and right, okay, well then you're going to have to use a little bit of shaping EQ. And that is done after compression, because once you're compressing and your dynamics are solid, then you're trying to shape it to the song, you know, which honestly a lot of times is fit around the vocal. What I mean by this is you get your vocal sounding amazing and you fit the track to it. You don't try to make your vocals fit in a track. You let the track fit the vocal because if you start EQing the vocal and everything, you're going to screw with it. You're not going to get the sound you want. See, so, you know, I'm not saying necessarily listen in solo, but I'm saying get your vocal sound and make it sound awesome. 
once you have your vocal sound, then mix the EQs of the rest of the track around it um, so that you're not losing perspective. That way, if the vocals are boosted at this frequency, you might not want to boost that on the others because that's where the vocals boosted. So, shaping EQ, like I said, is used to fit things. It's used to make them shape together. It's make you know they're fitting like a puzzle, right? And so the shaping EQ is done after compression. You can do all kinds of different EQs. I mean, you can use any type. You know, like I said, we're in the digital age. We can use plugins out the butt, and we can use all kinds of different sounds. So use them creatively, you know, use them as your colors, your, your different sounds. You know, if you're going for, if you want your songs to sound like a Neve console, then use Neve plugins only, you know, like think about it for a second. You know, if you're using Neve this and API that and, uh, you know, Sony Oxford plugins here, and then you're using the EQ within Logic or whatever, it's going to sound unique, yes, but it won't necessarily sound like you're expecting because what a lot of the recordings you're hearing, they're done on, a lot of it is done with a similar EQ sound. Like, the all the drums were done with Neve, and all the guitars were done with Neve, and the vocal was done with an Avalon, maybe, but probably still a Neve. <laughs> so, I mean, you can read recording books, and I'm sure you have, and you've read all the people that say in interviews about how they use Neves. They use 1081s and 1073s, 1066s, 1272s, which don't have EQ, but that's not the point. 33609s, you know, for compressors. And so before we go, there's one more thing I want to talk about, and that's DSing. Sometimes people say, okay, well, yes, this is great. You got your corrective EQ, you got your compression, and then you got your shaping EQ. Where do you put DSing? Where do you put other things in the chain? Well, DSing specifically, I almost always put before the compressor, before it. Why? Again, the same reason I call it corrective EQ. Um, DSing, you're fixing the S's. You know, you're fixing something. If you're fixing it, don't compress it. Don't compress it if it's not fixed. Fix it first and then compress it. So you're fixing the S's and you're, you know, you're fixing the low end. It's a little flubby, so you fix it. Then you compress the good sound. That's a rule. Think that in mind. This one, that's your new rule of thumb for today. Compress only good sound. Don't compress bad sound. So listen to something and see if it's good. If it's good, now you have the legal right to compress it. If you don't know if it's good, you know, train your ears. Train your ears to know what's good. It's important. It's important to start to hear what's good. It's funny because, you know, everyone's got their different definitions, everyone's in a different boat, and everyone's at a different career level, everyone's at a different hobby level. You're sitting there and you're saying to yourself, well, gosh, well, how do I know when it's good? Truth be told, I don't know if you'll ever really know if it's good or not. That's something that you have to decide and say, you know, that is good. That, that was recorded well. I can hear it. I can tell. And, wow, I didn't mean to rhyme there, but... Um, but it's true. You, you get to a point when you start to pick it out and you start to say to yourself, man, that sounds good. You're not fooling yourself. You're being honest. You know, there's no reason to lie to yourself in this industry. You say, man, that sounds good. Or, man, that sounds bad. That needs to be recorded again. So you record it until you get it right. Even if it takes changing your guitar, changing your amp, changing your speakers, changing your tubes, changing your room, do what it takes. I mean, that's, that's the problem is that people are lazy. 
And I'm not saying you guys are lazy. I'm saying that people are in general. And we have this idea that we can, you know, hook up a mic to a preamp and plug it into a converter and it's going to sound awesome because the reviews online were good, right? And since when has that philosophy ever worked? Oh, yeah, I'm just going to plug this cable into this outlet and then I'm going to press this button and it's going to give me a smoothie. I mean, it really is that ignorant sounding. It's like, well, you don't know if the outlet works. You don't know if the cable's working. You don't know if that is even a blender. Is that a blender or is that a toaster? I mean, it's that it's that general. You're just saying, like, I'm going to push a button on this device that I plugged in and it's going to give me a smoothie. It, it's, it's just blind. You know what I mean? It's just blindly following something. And, that, and that's what happens in the industry a lot. It's what happens in the hobby a lot. It's what happens in the craft, you know? People blindly do things and they don't know why. Question yourself. Question why you're doing it. Like I said earlier, what are you really wanting to compress? Another common thing on that, just a side note here, is kick drum. People are like, what do I need to compress? Kick drum is interesting because you're often compressing the whole thing. You're trying to keep the lows solid and you're trying to keep the highs solid. So in that case, you know, again, make it sound good. Make it sound good with your corrective EQ. Put it first. Make your kick sound cool. And then use the compressor. And then you'll have to play around with the attack and release times until it sounds good. And listen for the attacks, you know. Listen listen for the punchiness of it. If it doesn't sound punchy, change something. If it doesn't sound... Or, or, or maybe you're not looking for punchy. Maybe you're looking for a little smoother. If it doesn't have the sound that you're looking for then don't do it and or do something different. And if you don't know what sound you're looking for, well, then figure it out. So I hope you guys have enjoyed the show. I know it's been a little shorter. I, I try to jam-pack my shows with information because I want you guys to get it. I want it to stick in your brain. And I don't want you to be sitting here for an hour and a half or two hours listening to me ramble. I want you to be out mixing. I want you to be out working. You know, I want you to ex- be excited about it. So as soon as you're done listening to the show... You can go home and try it, or you can, you know, if you're listening in the car or whatever, you know, put down the podcast and put down the iTunes, put down, you know, whatever, and just try some of this stuff. So remember, get good sounds, record good sounds, run them into an EQ and fix it if you need to. And almost always, this is going to, this will include a high-pass filter. It will of some kind, even if it's 30 hertz. Generally, you know, you can go up as high as 80 on a lot of things because you don't need it. 70, 60, 80, somewhere in there. You don't need that much. Then run it through your compressor if you need to compress. You know, don't always think you have to compress. In a lot of rock stuff, you're going to have to compress a lot of stuff, generally. Probably so. I mean, maybe not electric guitar and maybe not some, you know, some things, but you're, you're, it's just the sound of rock music these days. So run it into your compressor. Only compress good sound. And then if it needs to be shaped further, shape it with some more EQ. Effects, anything after that, you know, do it. But like I said, those, those tips to me are the keys to making your brain wrap around the chain, to making your brain wrap around the chain idea. And whether you're doing it analog or digital, whether you're using an analog EQ, analog compressor, or digital, you know, think about it. Think about what you're really doing. I really think that it will save you a lot of time, a lot of stress, and it'll, it'll actually help you because when you start compressing good sound, you're going to say, wow, that actually is getting the sound that I'm wanting. It's actually compressing the part of the sound that I'm wanting. 
And when you're compressing good sound, when you're EQing, when you're doing all these things, it's going to start clicking, you know, and you're going to start learning faster and faster. So I have to put this in here to tell you, you know, don't take this and say, you know, okay, well, I'm going to now open up my sessions and throw an EQ on plug-in one and a compressor on plug-in two and an EQ on plug-in three. Because I'm not saying it to say that. I'm saying this is how it was done in the old days. This is how it was. I mean, you had a console with EQ on it. You ran into a compressor. If you needed to compress, which was, you know, often, then, you know, uh, and then you ran into any other EQ if you wanted it, and then any other effects after that. So I'm just giving you the, I'm giving you the stage, and it's your chance to make the play. Again, if you guys have questions, comments, thoughts, um, I just I just want to say I really appreciate all the comments that are in the iTunes uh, ratings um, from let me see here I'm looking at them really, really quick um, from Michael Hicks thanks L from Twitter uh, I'm sorry if I mispronounced uh, Mija and Tristan and Jason and I mean thank you guys so much for all your nice comments um, I really appreciate uh, all the five star views um, I got nine ratings. Think right now I'm sorry I'm looking at it right here. Anyway, thank you guys so much for all those nice ratings. I really appreciate. It. I really hope you guys are liking the show. Please email me. Email me with thoughts, questions, ideas for new shows. One of the reasons I'm not, you know, I have a hard time is because I'm trying to come up with good material and I don't want to just just give you crap. I'm not gonna just sit here and deliver something just because I think I got to make a deadline. You know, I wanna I want you guys to actually be helped. So tell me what you want to know. Email me at recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. Check out the blog, which is recordinglounge.blogspot.com. I haven't posted something in a long time, but I'm actually going to post something next week, or this week, actually, the week of the week of the, the 10th. You know, look forward to hearing from you guys. Peace.